0: You're listening to a Dwell Community Church production. If you'd like to check out more resources, visit dwellcc.org. We've been in Matthew for quite a few weeks, and so we've been in this uh, section of Matthew that's known as the Sermon on the Mount. It's this rather long, large body of Jesus's teaching. And he's been talking about what they call the Beatitudes. That's the blessed are the... And it's, you know, Jesus' teachings to his disciples about how to live a good life, how to be fulfilled. And he's talking about this life, this world. Like, God wants good things for us. He wants us to live purposeful, meaningful lives. And as he's gotten into this teaching, it's all chained together with this idea of, like, what God wants for you is probably not what you think. He wants you to have deep meaning and purpose and joy and fulfillment. He gets into talking about the law and how man has taken God's laws, which are principles for understanding his character and and what good behavior is, and turned it into this total drag, this total bummer of uh, rules and regulations without really understanding the meaning or the purpose behind what those laws were about. And then last week he just kind of pivoted right from there to the next logical place, which talked about religion and the heart, that when God gives us things to do, like praying, you know, he doesn't want us to do wordy prayers where we say the same thing over and over and over again. He wants a relationship. He wants a discussion. That God is a relational God, and at the end of the day, what he wants from you is he wants to be in your life, and he wants you to be in his life. And that any rituals or ceremonies or calendars, those kinds of things, those things exist as teaching tools to help us understand God, but they are not in and of themselves the point. And yet, man and his ways tends to take the small part, the part that's less important, and make that the major part, and then take relationships and love and compassion and mercy and say those things are the things that matter. What matters is what day of the week I go to church. And then it's a misrepresentation of who God is. So this is all along the same line of teaching and Jesus gets into this different, these different aspects of, "Should you give your money? What does that look like? Should you fast? What does that look like? Should you pray?" And then he kind of goes back to this topic of money, because it's a topic of, of pain and suffering. It's part of the dysfunction of the human experience. And he says in chapter six, verse 24, "No one can serve two masters." For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. And what he's doing here is he's talking about priorities. Wealth is important. Our perspective on wealth is important. But in the context of the overall picture, what's more important to Jesus as he's bringing this up is the question of priorities. Wealth is a great vehicle for discussing priorities but what he was driving at and what you're going to see as we work through this passage is this idea that you know what matters most to you in your life will have a very powerful impact on the quality of your life it affects the way you see the world it affects the way you relate it affects the way that you treat your spouse it affects the way that you parent It affects your view of your job What is the most important thing? And the thing that he's saying is, is you can't have two most important things. I know we all want to do that. We all want to say that, you know, we have three, four BFFs, right? Because we don't want to hurt anyone's feelings. But the reality is, is there can only be one most important thing in your life. And God says, that should be him. He should be more important than anything else. But there's all these things in your life that will vie for that top position in your heart. And a lot of them are really good things. For a lot of people they struggle with the love of money, success, power that you know they strive for that because that's a more tangible thing that you can grab a hold of. You know, God is sort of hard to get your head around. It's hard, you know, you can have experiences with God, but you know Slapping down, you know, that cash at the store and getting something you can hold, that you can use, that you can touch, is a lot more tangible to us. For some people, it's about children or spouses or friendships. That's the most important thing, and that feels like a good one. That feels like, yeah, that's what we should be about, you know? Like, a good person is not about money, success, and power. A good person is about children, spouses, and friendships. And that's, that's true, but not at the top. Not according to God. For some of us, it's just comfort. The most important thing to me is to not be uncomfortable And we will live our life and prioritize our lives around this idea of comfort of just keeping conflict away, keeping pain away, keeping the suffering of others away. If you prioritize your life that way, it's going to have outcomes that ultimately lead to a lot of unhappiness and a lot of discomfort in your life. It's hard to even say this. You know, I, I brought it up and I said, you know, is it? even right to prioritize God over your family. I think that there's a tension that we should feel with that. We shouldn't just run over that question. Like, you're supposed to love God more than your kids. And I don't know if it's human nature, or I don't know if it's part in our culture. You know, it's just like, your kids are the most important. That's everything is your kids, right? And I think that there's tension over that. Should I be more devoted to anything? Should I love anything more than I love my kids and my spouse and my family? Is that what God really wants? Does he truly want, number one, does he want me to say to my kids, you know who I love more than you, God? What does that do to a kid's psyche? So I asked mine and and what they thought. They're older. They're in their teens. And I said, what do you think about about that, you know? And uh, they said something that was really cool. They said, uh, you'd be a jerk if you didn't have God in your life. (laughs) You'd be a bad dad if you didn't have God in your life. The fact that you try to put God first makes you a better dad. And I think that's, that's really important to think about it you know, you should only put God first in your life before everything, before your spouse, before your kids, before your job. You should only do that if you wanna be the best parent, the best spouse, the best employee you can be. God will make you better than you could possibly be on your own by putting him first in your life. And whenever we put anything before God in our lives, it creates controversy. It ultimately creates suffering and misery, you know, these things are good and they're supposed to be good and, you know, we want to enjoy them and we want them to bring us joy and we want to feel good and we want to do good things. But when we make it more important to God, we become weird about it. We start to compromise on what we know is best. You know, if you love your kids more than you love God, then you will start to worry about, well, well, I don't know if I could tell my kid the truth here because what if, what if they don't love me? Or I don't know if I could discipline my kid here because what if they grow up and they resent me? And you don't think of life, you don't work things through like a grid of what is true and right and what God says is the best possible thing. You become a pragmatist where you're dealing with each possible thing in the moment and saying, what will make my kids love me more? And that is not intuitive. When you start parenting or even being a spouse who just does whatever other people want and the hope that they will like you more, what they become is disgusted with you. They see you as being needy, as being compromised, of lacking principles. And it's difficult to respect somebody who never says no. If you love your kids, if you love your spouse, you'll be willing to have hard conversations with them and you'll be willing to risk tension in those relationships. And the only good reason to be willing to do that is because God is first, and it's the most loving thing you can do for them. Prioritizing anything before God makes everything you do less effective. That's what Jesus is saying. And then he says, let's take money as an example. He says, for this reason, I say to you, do not be worried about your life as to what you'll eat or what you'll drink, nor for your body as to what you'll put on, Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? He's talking about anxiety and the anxiety that humans experience over things like money. And that's very interesting to think about, especially as 21st century American. It's fascinating when you get into the statistics. The U.S. has 30% of the world's wealth and 8% of its population. We have by far still the largest GDP of any country on the planet. We are the wealthiest people on the earth. And yet, 77% of Americans report feeling anxious about their financial situation. Isn't that amazing? You might not think it's amazing because you might actually be a fairly wealthy person... And you might actually be pretty anxious about your financial situation. In many studies, the wealthier you are, the more anxious you are about it. I remember having a talk with someone close to me who's fairly well off, and uh, he had a, a ski villa in Holiday Valley. And we were talking, and he was like, "I'm thinking about retiring, and I just don't, I don't know if I'm going to have enough. I might have to sell the ski villa in Holiday Valley." And I'm like, oh, how, how will you survive? Like that perspective, you know, seems really ridiculous when you're not somebody who's experiencing that, but when you are experiencing that, you are looking through this grid of the lifestyle to which you have become accustomed, and no one wants to downgrade their lifestyle. And a great deal of anxiety and fear can be driven from those kinds of decisions. It says 58% of people in the US feel that their finances control their lives. 52% have difficulty controlling their money-related worries. See, CNBC says Americans are most worried about their financial future, which includes not having enough money to retire, 68%, keeping up with the cost of living, 56%, and managing debt levels, 45%. The impact financial stress has on Americans stretches into all aspects of life, with respondents saying that they feel fatigued 43% of the time find it difficult to concentrate at work, 42%, and have trouble sleeping, 41%. A quarter of respondents, 25%, said that financial stress affects their relationships. We're the wealthiest people in the world and we're the most freaked out, anxious, depressed, worried, concerned, and dysfunctional people in the world about wealth. The answer is not more. What Jesus is getting at here is the answer is about what's first. What's the most important thing in your life? What drives you? Another study said 41% of couples who have consumer debt say they argue about money, and it's what they argue about the most. It's ruining our marriages. Market Watch says data released by financial term TD Trade America found that 41% of divorced Gen Xers, and 29% of boomers say they ended their marriage due to disagreements about money. What's more is if you're arguing about money early on in your relationship, watch out. That might be the number one predictor of whether or not you'll end up divorced, according to a study of more than 4,500 couples published in the journal Family Relationships. Newsweek says, anxiety is the most common type of mental illness in the country. According to the Anxiety and Depression Association of America, with over 40 million adults suffering from some form of disorder, although medication could be effective treatment, some of the drugs used could come with serious side effects and potential for abuse and addiction. Insomnia drugs share many of the same caveats. We are the most comfortable, the wealthiest, have more free time, more freedom, more technology, more communication. We have devices that accomplish so many things that used to take people hours and hours and hours, can be done in minutes. And yet we are breaking down in a neuroses of anxiety and fear. Why is that? Newsweek reports that between mid-February and mid-March, Use of anxiety medication, this is because of COVID. Use of anxiety medications increased 34.1%. We were the most medicated in the world for anxiety and depression. And during COVID, over the last year, we upped our ante 34%, according to a report that Pharmacy Benefit Management Express Scripts put out. It's not getting better, it's getting worse. Is it because we're too rich? Is it because we're too focused on money? I mean, we definitely are. But it's also because there's only one thing that fits in that slot of the most important thing. The reason money is killing us psychologically and physically is because we're putting that in the number one slot only God. We were created for the purpose of loving and relating to God, of worshiping, connecting with Him and with each other. Look at what Jesus says, verse 26. Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow, they don't reap, they don't gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? And who of you, by being worried, can add a single day to his life? And why are you worried about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They don't toil, nor do they spin. Yet I say to you, not even Solomon in all of his glory clothed himself like these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you you of little faith. Jesus' perspective here on anxiety is remarkable. He says, Do not worry then, saying, What will we eat, or what will we drink, or what will we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all of these things, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all of these things. If we break down what Jesus is saying here, it's really kind of interesting. His cure for anxiety is consider the birds. He's saying, let's just take a moment here and get some perspective. If you're struggling with anxiety, hit the pause button and just reflect for a moment on how good you have it. I think it's very difficult to imagine that anybody in this room is in serious threat of going without food, clothing, and shelter. This happens around the world. It just doesn't happen much here. How bad do you have to mess up your life where there's a true danger of starvation and homelessness? For most of us, you know, it would mean we would have to have some kind of serious mental illness or we would have to have some kind of serious drug problem to burn through all the layers of safety mechanisms in terms of being able to have a job, being able to hold a job, family and friends that care about us, all the different things that, are, that exist to keep you from being starving and freezing to death on the street. And yet it's one of the things that dominates our emotions. It's one of the things that dominates our resources. Fear of this happening, Jesus says, do you know how far you are? Like, the birds don't have anxiety. The lilies don't have anxiety. And they flourish. This fear that you have is not rational. Now, part of that is just, you know, we got to go back to kindergarten and go back to the working out what's the difference between a want and a need. What we want is way more than food, clothing, and shelter. Those are needs. And yet we see what other people are doing and we see the comforts that they have and we see the things that they have and we think that those things will be good for us, but it's those things that wind up driving our anxiety and killing us. This sick drive to own stuff What Jesus is talking about here is one way of dealing with your anxiety is to simplify your life. To go without things that you feel like you really, really want for the sake of keeping things simple. I read an article this week. It said that the average new car loan in America is $35,000. The average used car loan is $28,000. I mean, if you've got a new car and you've got a $35,000 car, my point is not to make you feel ashamed. My point is to consider that maybe those kinds of choices could lead to a lot of unhappiness in your life. That when we, when we look at the world that way and, and when, we, you know, when we go and we buy stuff to make ourselves feel better, when we depend on things And we just keep buying and buying and buying and we start doing things that we never would have imagined ourselves doing when we were younger. I remember saying to my grandfather when I was 22 years old, if I ever have to make more than $35,000 a year, I will be in serious sin. He laughed like some of you are laughing now. And he should have laughed. You know, the things, you know, that that you look at. And there are real things, right? you know, you wind up having kids and you wind up having kids in college and you wind up, you know, there's a lot of things that come together and, you know, I've got two teenage drivers in my family right now. And $35,000 isn't gonna cut when you've got two, two teenage drivers. I can tell you that right now. But the point is, is that our perspective changes and some of that's good. But we should not be quick to let go of that, right? What is actually good? What is actually needed? What is actually right? And if I let my things grow out of proportion, they will begin to control my life and make me miserable. The other thing Jesus said is know your value. So consider the birds, but know your value. You are not, your value is not assessed by what you accumulate. You know, our, our world is very much geared in that direction. But that's very much an invention of the last 200 years. Going back historically, they didn't have things like GDP. You know, they didn't define success by how, much, how many zeros were in your paycheck. You know, throughout history, a successful life, a good life, was often measured in how many kids you had, how many friends you had the kind of impact you had on people's lives, the good that you did in civil service. That was considered to be the highest form of a great life was a life where you were engaged in giving back to others. Now we put a dollar figure figure on it. You know, he makes six figures. He's a big success. What Jesus says is know that you are loved. That's the point. These material things will not last. All of it is exposed to entropy. It will all become dust. And you are an eternal being. Your body will become dust. But who you are, your spirit, God says, will last forever. And these things that you let drive you and that you let vex you, put you in these states of anxiety about the things. You know, you think that, you know, you can get a new car, you can get a new house, and you'll feel better about your life. But you compound those problems, and it gets worse and worse and worse because you're not putting the right thing first. Jesus says, stop for a minute and realize there is an all-powerful God who created you, who's in charge of everything, and he loves you. He loves you more than the birds. You're more valuable than the lilies and the grass. God sees something in each and every one of us that is very special to him. 1 John four sixteen through 19 says, We have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. God is love. And the one who abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this love is perfected, without it, with us, so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment. Because he he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves punishment, and the one who fears is not perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. That God loves us so much that he is constantly knocking on the door of our hearts. He wants us to understand that there is much more, that what we see, what we perceive, what we can see, taste, touch, and smell is only a fraction of the reality that we live in, that there is such a thing as a spiritual world, that we have souls, that God is a spiritual being, and the world, the picture, the universe is much, much, much larger than we can see. But that doesn't mean that we can't interact with it and we can't connect with it. Jesus says that we should lay up our treasure in heaven that the treasure that we have the ability to create things that will last for eternity are sitting in the seat next to you they're not on a store shelf somewhere it's people relationships that's what lasts because we last the chair you're sitting in the clothes you're wearing the car you drive into you drive home to and the house you park it in will all perish but not the people that's the best investment that you can make that's god's perspective that's his wisdom that's what he wants us to see that's how he wants us to understand it's the secret to living a meaningful life is making room for god to be the most important thing in your life And having the currency of relationships be of what's the most value. Don't derive your value from your spouse and your children. They'll hate you for it. If you live your life for your kids, they will resent being that important to you. You'll meddle in their lives. You'll make decisions for them that they should be making for themselves. And you'll become a nuisance. Because you're driven to do so because you, uh, you think that you're doing it because you love them, but what you're really doing is trying to convince yourself that you have value. This is the number one reason relationships break down between parents and kids. is because parents put too much value and derive too much identity from their kids. And kids intuitively sense that and feel like you're the grown-up. You're supposed to be able to figure this stuff out. Being secure enables you to love more. The key to security is to know that God loves you. That you're important, you're valuable, whether your kids love you or not, whether your spouse loves you or not, whether your neighbors love you or not whether you're a good person or a bad person, you have value and potential on an eternal cosmic scale. And you have to come to understand that or you will be looking for others to meet your needs in ways that will damage your relationship with them because God's not first. The other thing Jesus says is, Consider the efficacy of anxiety. What is gained by worrying? It's a great question. What is accomplished? It's not like some evolutionary purpose is being accomplished by lying in bed at night with the cortisol pumping through your veins, causing your heart and your blood pressure to go up, causing you to lose sleep and die younger over nothing over things that you cannot control, over things that are ultimately not that important and that don't have that much value. We can sit in a flywheel effect of working ourselves up into a veritable frenzy of anxiety over things that just don't matter. And God wants to break that cycle of worry. He wants to intervene in the middle of those panic attacks and just say, this thing that you're worried about, you won't care about it in 500 years. You'll look back at this and think about how silly it was that you got so worked up about your neighbor's fence being two feet over the property line. Or worrying about, you know, would you have millions of dollars in your 401k so that you can retire and play golf and pinochle until you die. Those things are secondary things. Prioritizing relationships is what brings us into focus. Jesus ends this section and sums it up perfectly, you know, because he's God and everything. He says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. He's not saying these things are worthless. He's saying these things can be good things, but they can't be the first thing. Seek first the kingdom of God. Put God first, and then find out how your Father who loves you will provide for you. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble as its own. If you could just embrace that one verse, how would your life change? How would your marriage change? How would the way your kids view you change? How deeply contentful would your life be if this one verse could sink in in a meaningful way? He's saying, put God first. You know, we run into this sometimes in this church you know, we think we have a pretty great church. It's cool. And, you know, there are lots of great churches and lots of cool things that God's doing all over the world. And so sometimes this comes up where it's like a kid came to Christ and they want to be used by God and they're excited about God. But then it's like, should I go away to college or should I stay here and be involved with ministry? Same thing happens with grown-ups where, you know, they're working hard, they're making their career happen, and, you know, an opportunity comes, the boss comes along and says, I got a promotion for you, but you got to move to Philly. And people get caught into the tension of, of these things. And I think this verse, this, the, this last verse that we just read in Matthew is a good one to come back to because I think it's very instructive in those moments. Seek first the kingdom of God And all these things will be added unto you. Because what we want to do, what we tend to do, is we tend to figure out how to shoehorn God into our other plans. I'll go find a really great place or a really great church in this place that I'm going to because I'll make more money. And the thing that I want to bring out about this is the reason this tension, I think, exists in this church more than an average church is because I don't know any church anywhere where anybody can have access and the ability to do so much ministry. I'm not saying other churches don't do more ministry, they don't accomplish other things, but I'm talking about the average person on the street. If you don't want to be a professional pastor, and you don't want that to be your career, I don't know of any church in the world that has more things that you can do and that is willing to entrust you with more responsibility and give you more tools and more opportunity to make an impact on the kingdom. It doesn't mean we're the best. It doesn't mean we're the only ones. It just means that we have inherited this mind-boggling thing that really puts the pastoring, the ministry, the ability to be used by God in to lay people's hands in a way that I'm not aware of anywhere else. If it exists, let me know. I'll send them a resume. And so I think when you have that formula, then the question is, why would you go somewhere else? That's the tension you have to wrestle with. If you you are convinced God wants you to do this, it's the best thing for your relationship with God— and it's the best way that you can have an impact for the kingdom of God, then by all means, you would, be in a, you would be in sin not to go. If that's what you believe. But what we tend to do is just say, well, you know, I've got co-most important things. And that's where that tension falls. And it goes right back to this verse. It goes right back to the heart of what Jesus is saying is so important. Put God first. Put it before dwell. Put it before your home church. Put it before everything. A church is just a wineskin. It's a tool. But put yourself and pursue being used by God to the highest degree and prioritizing Him him over all other things and these two will be added unto you it would be the same with career salary you know what, what is the thing that you use to determine what you do for a career is it your salary the amount of freedom it'll give you the amount of free time the flexibility in the hours the health care the commute to work i think you should ask What's the best thing I can do for the kingdom of God? What's the thing that God can use me most powerfully in? And I'm not saying that everybody should be pastors. I'm saying everyone should think about this. They should seek first the kingdom of God and say, okay, given my constitution, my makeup, how God made me, the gifts that I have, what are the greatest things that I can do To accomplish his purposes, and that will lead you to a fulfilling career. And if all of us did that, we would all be doing all kinds of different things. But we would be putting God first. Putting him first will make you a better parent, it'll make you a better spouse, it'll make you a better employee. It will help you keep in perspective what is ultimately important. And it will lead to less anxiety and a much happier life. All right, why don't I pray for us? God, you're the best. We don't live like it and we don't always believe it, but it's always true. The things that I can think about in my life where I've put you first are the best things in my life. And the things that aren't are the things that have caused me the most pain and suffering. Yet, I still struggle and still fail to put you first in so many ways. Just pray that you can just be patient with us and move us along in a way that we can become more and more fully yours. Amen. Thanks for listening. This has been a Dwell Community Church production.